presenting to you an Ista World podcast. So here we go. How do we know we are making progress spiritually? Well, there's two ways. There's a better way and a not so good way. The not so good way is the most popular way, which is to see something, to hear something, to have visions and to feel glorious and to feel elevated. So these are the ones spoken about in the books because they're most appealing to the ego of man. The not so popular but better way is to change as a human being, to become from a human animal to a human being, to transform oneself, to walk in the footsteps of the saints. So if you see your character is changing and you're becoming saint-like, and this is a great measure of how well you're doing spiritually, much more than simply seeing a few more illusions in the higher realms. For that's all they are, illusions, because everything up to the second realm that the mind can see are all just visions of greater and more spectacular illusions. So why bother sightseeing or hearing things? But yet this is very popular with Uh, modern people because they want to have some powers they want to see things they want to witness things they want to use the mind to determine their spiritual progress but true spiritual progress is that of the soul and the soul doesn't need any of this it just needs transformation to transform from a manmuk to a gurmuk from a sinner into a saint so if you are keen on true enlightenment and true understanding and true change and that's what you've been looking out for rather than worrying about whether you see anything or not in fact seeing sometimes can be a distraction because when you see something within the ego gets involved and it gets excited and it thinks it's attained something and it feels glorious that it's having an even greater illusion than the one it's living in now it forgets that it's only another illusion a more spectacular one So it stops its other spiritual progress, it stops transforming itself into a saint-like character and just wants to enjoy the illusion. <laughs> yeah. can, can I elaborate based on yes. what you just said then? So why is it that so many people are fixated on seeing things? Because their ego is in operation. You see, unfortunately, as you progress spiritually, certain stages have to be overcome. One of the first stages is that spiritual ego comes into play, which is why when people are initiated, They straightway feel that they've somehow achieved something, that they're better than others who are not initiated. Mm. So they look down upon others and feel good about themselves. This is ego. It's nothing to do with their spirituality. But spiritual ego is necessary because unfortunately, the person who's been initiated operates within mind and the senses. They're still, they haven't given them up. That's why they need to be initiated. So initiation initially inflates the ego. Now, part of inflating the ego to support this is to have visions and see things and do little magical things and play around with creation. This is all supporting the ego's idea of being special. But true spirituality is rising above the specialness and becoming true. And that is truly special, but it's not exciting to the mind. Mm. Because the mind sees things in colors and it sees things in, in, illusionary, in illusionary measures. So there's nothing spectacular for the mind about leaving the mind behind and going beyond it. Mm. And I think as well, correct me if I'm wrong, when you're progressing spiritually and if you do see things, there are certain things you see in the, at different stages. 
So when people know this and they see a particular thing at a certain stage, they'll start to think, oh, I am at that stage, so I feel really good and want to celebrate it and talk about it. Yes, I mean, again, it's spiritual ego. Mm. The trouble with seeing things, if this is the basis of your spiritual practice, you'll never leave mind though. Because yeah. you're constantly wanting to have spiritual experiences mm. and forget about transforming yourself into a saint. Mm. You forget that the path is a transformatory process mm. from sinner to saint. And that is the main point of it. Now, all the other benefits of seeing something and everything are really just there as little markers along the way. So you can see how well you're doing. But unfortunately, with the modern age, the intellect that we have today, we misunderstand all these things. And we instead take these to be something that makes us special from others. And it's not indeed. It's not because you're just having an illusion. In fact, it can take you away from spirituality because you get so involved with what you're seeing and you want to analyze it and investigate it. And you forget even spiritual practice. Yeah, you start true. telling everybody about it. You start asking everything about it. You start feeling good about yourself. Yet have you changed as a human being? Are you a noble human being now? Or are you still a human animal? So sometimes spiritual experiences are not the best way for Okay, thank you. Is it okay to ask our master, whether it's in person or when you go within, i.e. meditating, if we are making progress? Well, you can see for yourself. You don't need to ask anybody. Okay. It's, you only ask a question when you've made no progress. <laughs> when you've made progress, for example, if I get out of the door, mm -hmm. And I go towards the shop where I'm going to do my shopping. And then somebody asks me as I'm walking down the street, are you making progress? <laughs> you he said, what am I doing here? Yeah, yes. <laughs> You're getting closer. But to if the I've shop. never left the door front, but <laughs> yeah. I'm standing by the door and I'm asking somebody, because yeah. I'm not, I don't know what it's like to walk down the street to the shop. Mm. I'm standing by the door and I, I keep asking everybody who's going in and out, have I made progress? Sure. If you have to ask that question, you've not made any progress. That is so true because you would have but you had a feeling of something shifting within you. You'd know. Yeah. You'd know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What should our first priority be to help us aid our spiritual progress? The priority should be that the spiritual path should be the center of your life, not your material life. The false life or the illusory life that you've been leading now, the temporary life of taking part in creation, is an okay thing to do. It's, it's part of your role whilst you're physically here, um, you know, to play a certain part that makes the whole universe work. So it's important you play your part well. Yeah. But it shouldn't be the focus of your ideal. Your ideal should be to actually become true again, self-realization, truth realization, and then go back to your true home. If you make that the center of your life, then living this life and performing your karmic roles and duties and responsibilities is just a, 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 a passing time activity, which you try to do in the best manner possible. So that's how you should think about it. So how will, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to say like word for word what you do at every hour, but supposing someone's got like a nine to five job and you're saying put it as a priority. No, what it's not a priority. They should put spirituality their priority. Yeah, that's what the I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Job, yeah. They should just passing the time. You have to do something while you're here. Whilst you're living your notional life of 60, 70, 80 years, what are you going to do? Mm. So you play a part. You're taking the part of a character. You're playing the part of the character. But a character is just a part you're playing, like an actor on the stage. There's sure. no reality to anything you're doing. 
Sure. Therefore, you should actually spend your attention. The focus of your attention should be on who you really are, investigating、mm. the truth of where you came from, and also of making progress that way to attain that state once again and give up this role you're playing. Okay, I guess I'm being really、um, pedantic here. What I meant was, I hope I didn't explain myself correctly. Was suppose you've got a nine-to-five job. And then, okay, that's like eight hours of your day taken up. Then you've got another eight hours. Say you're going to sleep, and then let's just say you go to work, you come home, you've got some time, and you're saying put spirituality as a priority. How does it look within all that? Because spirituality is the focus of your intention, which is completely different to the journey that you're going through in this physical world. For example, I want to fly to Thailand. To meet my friend there, so the objective of my everything I'm doing is to get to Thailand to meet my friend. That is forever in my mind, and what I'm going to be doing there. My attention is constantly there during the journey. Now I'm having to travel on airplanes, buy car, meet this one, negotiate with that, <laughs> pay these fees. So what of it? This is just passing the time while I ever get closer to my destination. But all in my mind, the reason why I'm doing all of this. Is my objective, and my objective、mm. is to meet my friend in Thailand. Now it so happens that in the world I'm living in, there's a process involved, a mundane process. So what? Do the mundane process as it is in a mundane way.、Mm. It just is. But keep the focus on where you're heading in life. So you go to your work, you do your work to earn a living, to sustain the body, to provide a roof over your head. These are just practicalities. They're not the goal of life. The goal is something much greater. But in the meantime, you have to go through the process of looking after your physical well-being, providing security for yourself. But you're doing all of this now not for itself, but for a higher purpose. Because、mm. this vehicle of the body is going to take you across the ocean of the world to a higher state, a higher reality. So therefore, you must protect it. So the whole emphasis has changed. So it's not that you give up your nine-to-five job, you give up your sleep, and you do no, you do these things,、mm. but you do them for the preservation. Of the body, and the means to allow you to focus on higher realities and higher things. You get these mundane things out of the way because, unfortunately, you live in a physical world that requires physical activities. But that is not the focus. Your attention. You're using them simply to provide an opportunity for you to focus on higher things. So then, everything you do physically in this life, you hand it over to the Lord and say, "Okay, Lord, I'm performing these tasks that you've assigned to me as a character in this play."、Mm. But my real objective is truth realization.、Mm. Therefore, please don't let these things distract me from that,、yeah. because I know it's only an illusion, and I'm going to leave this world. And when I leave this world, I will still remain the true self, but the character will be dead and gone. So why should I place so much emphasis on what the character is doing, rather than who I really am, which will carry on from life after life? Sure. Thank you for that. Right, there's quite a few questions here. Okay, I'll try to go through as around, quickly as possible around the topic of initiation. Okay. So, what I would really like for you to do, if it's okay, is just explain to the listeners what initiation actually is. Well, initiation really is a spiritual transmission of grace from a master, the Lord's representative, to a disciple. At the time of initiation. What actually happens is that a master cuts the cord of karmic connection to the ast- 
to the astral and causal realm and attaches it to himself. So now this big uh, lump of sentient karmas, the backlog of karmas waiting to be fulfilled life after life, is now separated from us. And now all we have to do is fulfill the karmic obligation we have in this lifetime that fill up our entire life. Because without karma, we cannot exist on this earth for one breath. So therefore this notional life, this prolonged karma, we call it, the destiny that we have in this lifetime has to be fulfilled. So the, but we know we don't have to come back again. If we exhaust and pay back these dues, and let's say we don't create anything new, any new karma, then there's nothing to pull us back. But if we're not initiated and we manage to live karma free in this lifetime, there is still a whole backlog of karma, sentient karma, masses of them going back hundreds of lifetimes to be fulfilled. So there's no escape from the karmic trap just by doing good deeds. But initiation cuts the cord connecting you to those backlog of karmas that have to be played out and forever separates you from all these past actions. Basically, it's a forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. These We call these karma sins because they keep you trapped here. So the master forgives you. Yeah. The mm -hmm. second thing is that through by the master accepting you as a disciple, it means that he guarantees that you will go home within a few lifetimes, if not that lifetime. So this is a guarantee of your salvation. So initiation is absolutely important from a, a high level living, perfect living master to guarantee that you will go home. Then you have nothing left to do. Your journey is finished. Once you get initiated, there's nothing left for you to do. So what are you going to do with the rest of your life? So you may as well fulfill your obligation, whether it's a husband, a wife, child, mm -hmm. a worker here, a friend there. Do all these things, but you do them all knowing that they will not come back to you again. There's no, um, there's no attachment to anything that you're doing. It's just that you're fulfilling the rest of your role here on earth. So another thing that the master does is it takes away the consequences of everything that you're doing. But there are consequences to certain things. So it's a complicated matter, but let's just say ultimately the consequences will be cleared. So that's the other thing. So everything you do now, good or bad, is irrelevant because it's going to be cleared by the master. But the master administers its own kind of method of um, clearing it. So it's still advisable not to do bad things because... Um, the master will still have to administer the law, although it's done much more um, agreeably than uh, karmic justice. But you still have to pay it back, and it's, that's delaying your progress home. So the third thing with initiation is that it's the only way that your eye center can be opened so that you'll have access to the inner or higher kingdoms in which you can traverse to go back home. Unless the door is open, you cannot get out of the building and walk about outside and once witness the wonders of the land. If the door is locked and closed, no matter how many times you recite a mantra or plead or beg or do anything, you'll never be able to get out of the door. It needs somebody who has the key. Now the master has the key. When the door is unlocked, all it requires for you is to place yourself at the door and open it. So the master has the key or the passport and that passport unlocks the secret gateway to higher realms. 
So now you can embark upon your spiritual journey home. There's no way you could do this on your own. So you need a living master who has a key because you do not have the key. Okay, thank you. Right, I can go into the um, questions now. Okay. So based on the fact, like you said, you get initiated by a master. Can you explain who that master actually is? Who are they? The Those master is, the t there's different levels of master. Let's say that we're talking about here, ultimate truth realization from the highest realm, the fifth realm, mm -hmm. the Supreme Lord. Mm -hmm. So the master is the representative of the Supreme Lord. The Supreme Lord projects itself in the form of Deal or mercy or forgiveness. And that Deal form we call a saint, a perfect saint or a perfect living master. They come here into this realm, restricted by physical body and following all the rules of karmic law in this lifetime, in order to rescue, meaning initiate, those souls crying for help sincerely, the genuine seekers, not for the insincere ones, not for the masses. So holy masters are represented of the true Lord, who come to earth, descend to earth, out of compassion for suffering humanity, to rescue or save or salvation those ones who are crying sincerely for help, who want out of this creation, the time is up. So masters come as compassionate, merciful beings. Many terms have been used to describe them. But what is little understood is that they come only for those who are marked to be rescued, meaning those ones who are sincerely crying for help, not for everybody. Now, there are lower masters, which we call the educators or the teaching masters, the Gyanis, and these masters come to give spiritual instruction on how to achieve better life, how to enjoy more fruitful life the next time round in the karmic cycle. So they don't rescue you from this uh, karmic trap. They just tell you how to make life a little bit easier. So does that mean a fourth level master cannot initiate you? They can initiate you, but you cannot go to Satmok. You cannot go to Satkarma. Right, okay. So the master who initiates you will only take you up to his level. Mm -hmm. And then you have to come back right. and go through the process again in order to go back to your true home. So it's kind of a delay. But for some sure. people, that's, that's the journey for them. Okay, thank you. Next question. If I am already initiated from past perfect living masters in previous lifetime why do i need another initiation from another perfect living master in this lifetime because you do not remember your past mm. if you have no recollection of your past and you do not have any of the benefit of the spiritual practice you do not remember the spiritual practice then what are you going to do in this life mm. so it's not that you're being initiated again for the first time you're just being reminded so some people have already been on the path. So from a young age, they're already very spiritually minded and so on. So it's just a matter of procedure, of protocol, that they are now instructed again. The initiation of right took place the first time, and that covers every lifetime. But the physical process of initiating them and instructing them has to happen each time they occur in a li lifetime lower than the Satchkan, lower than the highest um, goal. So they have to have some sort of a master, but it doesn't mean it's the first time. It's just a protocol, a procedure that has to be gone to introduce the uh, disciple mm -hmm. to the spiritual path and explain to them what to do. Sure, thank you. 
it said that we need a perfect living master to take us home. So what happens if they leave their physical body while we are still here? So, for example, if they pass away? Well, the real form of the master is the Shabbat. It's the divine melody within us. The master is a master power. They're not physical. As I said before, they're the holy representative of the Supreme Lord. They come into the physical form in order to communicate with us at our own level. So when they leave, they leave behind instructions, which is to meditate and how to access the truth within ourselves. So if we practice that, we will see the holy form of the master, or the spiritual form or radiant form within us, and they will continue to guide us in that form. No need for a physical. The physical is just a reminder. So if I got initiated by a perfect living master and they died, I wouldn't really need initiation again, would I? No. Mm. Because whilst you're living in this body, in this lifetime, you have already been initiated. You've already been in con put into contact with the divine melody, divine mm. truth of the Lord. Why do you need to be have that done again? You don't need to. You just need to practice. Yeah. It's interesting, this next question, because you just answered, answered it. But I'll ask it anyway, because I think it's quite mm. interesting. Okay. Why do we need a living master to initiate us? Surely I'll be safe by following the teachings of past perfect living masters. But like what you just said... You've forgotten. So you need yes. that reminder. Yes. Yeah. It's oh. um, it's because mm -hmm. you need to be, the, the transmission of spiritual power has to occur in this karmic realm in a specific way. This mm. is what's actually been agreed with the negative power, that a person can only attain the um, Supreme Law if they are in the company of a physical being who is enlightened, who is, comes from that realm. That's the condition. Mm. So masters yeah. have to be present at the same time as the disciple is there. Whether the disciple has been initiated before or not, it doesn't matter. Because the disciple has no knowledge of that. So they have to be reminded. They don't know where they've been reminded or they don't know whether they've been initiated the first time. They'll find out when they go within. But the process is the same, whether it's a first time or, or a reminder. Okay. So given that um, masters take on our karma when we get initiated, Yes. Um, I guess I'm delving into it a little bit. What do they actually do with it? Like, what does it amount to? What happens? The master, one of the great things about the master is the forgiveness of our karma. Mm. They stand as ransom. So they pay the karma on our behalf. For example, let's say you owe some money to a bank and they're coming to take your house away to drag you to the courts and to put you into jail for non-payment. Mm. And you have a benefactor, a wealthy man, who's a friend of yours, and he says, he stands before the bailiffs and before the court officials and says, no, I will pay this man's due. Leave him in his home. So the master stands as ransom for us to the negative power. So in that state, the karma is cleared, is paid. Because the master himself takes it upon himself. Do they suffer in any way? Yes. Like It causes them to suffer physically. Wow. Specifically more physically than any other way. Um, and it also causes problems in, in the sense that it can um, cause practical, technical problems that they're not able to uh, go about so much or some difficult technical difficulty does come, but is in the form of a pinprick. Mm. It's very much condensed. So yes, they do suffer, um, but it's easily cleared with, with calling upon their own master or the divine power to clear that debt. So yes, but there is an initial moment that the master has to take on that suffering, yes. Okay, right. This question, as perfect living masters love us unconditionally, 
So if we do well or badly, if we love them, if we have thoughts about killing them, etc., why does it matter how we actually treat them? Won't they still elevate us anyway? Because if, yes, they'll still elevate us, but it'll take a lot longer. If you're swimming swimming against the course, somebody has to pull you along to take you somewhere, you're being dragged, it's a lot more painful for you and it's a lot more slower process than if you jump along and ride along with them. If a rope is tied to you and you're being dragged, then how much more difficult is that for you? How much more painful and how much longer it will take to drag you than it would be if you runningly, if you go willingly running along. So it's in your own best interest not to go against the masters, but to go with them. But ultimately, yes, you'll go home, whether you're kicking and screaming and being dragged in a painful way, or whether you go smilingly and jokingly and happily. It's your choice. Yeah. Either way works. You decide which one you prefer. <laughs> True. So really, um, when a master takes on that karma of yours, that was already written into the divine plan. Yes. Right. Okay. The time of your rescue is written in the script. Mm. It's not in your hands. Sure, sure. Right, this is a bit of a long one, but it's, it's quite a nice one. Are there different reasons why a person would have two masters? So be initiated by two masters. Or does it amount to the same reason for everyone? Give an example, such as the first master comes into your life to introduce you to spiritual matters, sets you off on your spiritual journey, and then the other master, the second one, is there to actually take you home. Does is everyone got the same reason if they've got two masters? Yes, technically that's correct. Okay. Sometimes a master is a master by proxy, which means that you have some connection with them from the past. And they ah. promised that they would uh, will help you in this lifetime. Even if they're not the ones that take you home, they still have sure. to put you onto the path, clean you up a little, <laughs> and then hand you over to the master who's going to take you home. All masters come from one. They're all the Shabbat. They're all the divine power of the law, the essence of the law that manifests in physical form. So masters never compete with each other. Right. They are the one being that's separated into different forms in order to carry out the tasks. So yes, um, at one particular lineage of master or one particular um, group may initiate you to put you on the path, clean you up a little, and then the other ones are the ones responsible for taking you home. And this creates an affinity within you. You may be initiated by one master, the initial one who's going to clean you up, mm -hmm. and and you know, but you never feel that close to them. There's always something, you know, you're not that. Then you meet another one, mm -hmm. and you feel this strong pull to them, but you think, well, I'm already initiated. Sure. But this is the case where initiation by proxy may have occurred with the first master, and initiation of devotion and love is with the second one. Right. So it's okay then to be initiated twice you know in okay. that sense there so, are other circumstances in which a disciple will be initiated by more than one but that's, that's generally right. the condition that's what i was going to go on to that that's just me being nosy because i know people who've been initiated by three masters so i guess my question is well, what's going on there then for them? sometimes sometimes there's other reasons um bit too com complicated to explain but if they have a particular role to play in the world they have a particular journey oh. um they have to appeal to different groups of individuals. Maybe they're going to be a spiritual teacher on behalf of the masters or other things. They have to connect with them. People will often respect somebody or uh, trust them if they have the same master as them. 
Mm. If they've been accepted by sure. the master, they say, well, if my master's accepted that person, then I can listen to them. But if they come from another line, another group, which they think is different, and then they try to give them instruction, that person then tries to give the other group an instruction. They say, well, no, you're not initiated by my master. Why should I listen to you? Mm-hmm. True, yeah. That, that, so, that does happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If another master initiates you at a later stage, will the reserved karma be destroyed again, even though a master initiated you initially? No. Ah. It's simply the handing over of responsibility. That's all. The, in, the first initiation has destroyed that karma. It's not actually destroyed. It's just sitting there. It's dormant. Mm-hmm. And technically, you can bring it back into play. But that's another story for another time. The masters don't literally burn it off. There's various descriptions in the book yeah. saying that the karma is burnt it's, away. Mm. It is forgiven. It's on. Yes, it's forgiven for the moment. But sometimes you have to take some of that backlog again to create a new life for yourself. If, you're, if you've not really behaved well in this lifetime, you'll have to come back. But you may not have done enough crime in this lifetime to fulfill an entire life. So some has to be borrowed from the past to make up the remaining. So sometimes it's there and the masters, masters can use that karma in order to complete a life here. Sure. Yeah. So is it possible um, like for a mark soul to get initiated by the wrong master? No, okay. not possible. Is the master always with us once initiated? Yes. Okay. So they place themselves, they clone the spiritual form we call the astral form into our forehead at the eye center. So then we can now see them. So they open the door, they unlock the door. Mm. We get to the door and open it. That's our role. Our effort is only to get to the eye center and open the door. That's all we have to do. Then the radiant form greets us on the other side. So when you say the radiant form greets us on the other side, do you mean you physically will see that or that's what happens? Not physically. With the eye of the mind, the wisdom eye, you will see the master, the radiant form of the master. But suppose you get initiated and some people haven't seen anything. It, it's only because you haven't gone there or it's in your own interest not to see anything because you'll give up your family life. So, for example, right. let's say you have a, a family, you have young children, uh-huh. you have so many social responsibilities. That's your particular journey in the physical life. If the master reveals to you anything within, sure. this could be such a distraction that you give up your work, you give up everything, you run to the hills. Right. So in order for that not to happen, then you're not, you don't see anything, but you still make progress. Remember, you change as a character. The idea of, um, of becoming initiated and following a spiritual path is to become saint-like, sure. to uh, allow you access to the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter whether you see anything or not. The so seeing mm. is only given to those who have nothing to lose by it. Mm. I, I like the way you put that. that. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so so what you're saying is, as we go through life, we've been initiated. We are never alone, really. No, never. The master places a clone of himself, a spiritual form right. called a radiant form of the master, because it it looks like it's lit up, mm. and that form forever guides us. It's the voice in our head when we pray, when we plead to the master. Mm. That is the one that responds. I think it's useful for people to remember that because sometimes when you're facing situations, maybe in the workplace or family relationship, I know a lot of people do feel they're on their own. It appears like that because they're not in connection with the eye center. Mm. The idea of meditating and placing your attention at the eye center is that you never feel alone. Mm. If you never do the spiritual practice, if you don't do the meditation, then yes, you can still feel alone even if you're not. 
the master is subtly guiding you, helping you along the way and minimizing the trauma of what you're going through. But you don't know because you don't know what the full extent of that trauma is going to be. So you witness maybe 10% and you think you're witnessing it all. You don't know how bad it could have been. You do not know that the hand of the master is there. But because the master is unselfish, he's unconditional love, he doesn't see glory for what he's doing. Mm. Mm. It's doing it because it loves you unconditionally for yourself. And it has made a promise to you. And the promise is that I'll be there for you in your hour of need, no matter what. Whether you believe in me or not, whether you trust me or not. Okay, thank you. Right, these next set of questions are to do with the perfect living master and their job, their role, that sort of thing. Okay. So the first question is, how do perfect living masters get assigned or allocated their job, which is to take people home? <laughs> you mean uh, you think they put a CV in that such come? Actually, you can answer it in relation to the other masters who don't have that role to take you home. They just educate you and what have you and all the rest of it. Yeah, how do they get assigned their roles? <laughs> I know it's not a CV. There's a long answer and a short answer. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to do the middle answer. All right, that's good. Thank you. In the beginning, when the Supreme Lord created such kind, mm -hmm. he created sixteen principal souls. Right. Now these principal souls are attributes of the Supreme Lord that are the precursors of the creation that is to come. In other words, they all have a particular aspect, a role to play that, when placed together, creates the entire creation. But at the same time, the creation is separated into parts because then it looks like we have separations of parts. We mm -hmm. have different levels, for example, of creation. Then we have different regions within them. Then we have different conceptual ideas like good and bad, um, ugliness and beauty, love and hate and so on. So these separations, these attributes were divided into all the forms of activity that were to take part in creation that make the creation happen. Now, one of those principles, principal souls called the Al, or the principle of mercy, and that is the holy master, the perfect living saint. And when that form of the attribute of the Supreme Lord manifests into the creation, it becomes a living master. Mm -hmm. So it has the authority of the Lord to save souls. And its name is mercy, which is why um, mercy and forgiveness, forgive the forgiver, and the merciful one and the compassionate one are all used to describe the perfect living master from the highest order. So they come in this form to rescue us. So that they're sent by the Supreme Law. They don't have to apply. They don't, they don't get this job by some sort of a application worldly process. Mm -hmm. They descend from that level down to our level. But because they have to follow the law of karma, the rule is, because Carl has been granted this creation to run in his term and to play the Lord of this realm. Now, for the master from beyond this realm to come into here, he has to agree some terms with the, with the Carl. So Carl, Carl has said, you cannot reveal who you are publicly. You cannot interfere with my creation directly. You cannot use powers and so on to win over everybody. You simply have to live in my restrictions with my hardship as a perfect example. And you can give teachings of whatever you like without any powers, without anything. And if those people want to follow you, then they're most welcome to leave by creation. So that is how 
a perfect living saint comes into this creation we call him a holy master. Sure. Now, Carl himself, though, sends his own masters to compete with them. He said, fair is fair. If you're going to come down and, and rescue souls, mm -hmm. I have a right to send my own representatives to trap them into pseudo-religion, pseudo-masters. So we, I'm going to call mine Gyanis, or masters of knowledge. So these ones are mindfulness practitioners. So they come down as mindfulness philosophers, practitioners. They then offer power. He said, but in my domain, these masters can be assigned powers. They can perform miracles. They can heal the sick. They can do all these things. He said, so my master will have, but you cannot do any of this. You have to, by sheer force of truth, of argument, wins the souls of man. If you can do this against my masters, you have a right to take them back home. Wow. So this competition yeah. or this play between eternity and Carl, the negative power, is the interaction that we witness today between these ones who trick people with uh, powers and healings and all kinds of things that they're still trapped within the karmic cycle. They can never take them out of the karmic cycle. Let's just give them pleasures here. Mm -hmm. They trick them and they fool them because these are not sincere ones. Only the insincere will fall for this and run after worldly pleasures. I want my wife to be a better person. I have a child. I want a boy. I want my business to be successful. I want my health to improve. I want, my, I sure. want, I want this thing to happen, that thing to happen. There are these gyanis for them. These are the masters of Carl. A perfect living master never is interested in that. He's only interested in those who want to go home, who want to get out of this creation, who are fed up. Now, when they're genuinely fed up within, even if they don't realize it, they're, their time is up, they really want out. So they'll be attracted to those masters say, look, I'm not going to give any comforts here necessarily. There are some ben benefits to actually being initiated, but that's not the primary goal. The primary goal must be that you want to know the truth, you want real answers, and you want to get out. So, so on that basis, you'll be initiated. Mm -hmm. But there are benefits because the master then takes on some of their role and some of their suffering and, and problems and helps them indirectly. But that's not the reason for it being initiated. Whereas when you follow a spiritual teacher or a spiritual guide or one of these mindfulness um, masters, then these ones, they say to you, I'm going to cure you. I'm going to get you better life. I'm going to help you with your business. I'm going to get your daughter married off well. Because they're so appealing on. to the mind. They're appealing to the mind to keep yeah. them trapped. Yeah. Because now a, 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 a payment has occurred here. Mm. The masters who are not unconditional, those level masters are not unconditional. They say, now that soul belongs to me. Life after life, they have to pay me back. So it's a great trap, a great snare. But because people operate in the mind realm and they want instant satisfaction, instant this, not true sincere seekers, they fall for this trap. So they go to these loan sharks. They get their temporary reprieve from their suffering, but they have to come back again and again and again, many, many times to pay this debt back. It's not free. Mm -hmm. Whereas the holy masters, whatever they give to you is absolutely free. There's no payments. There's no interest plan, payment plan. It's totally free and you can take it with it, enjoy it and go back home. Wow, thank you. Yeah. Um, can perfect living masters have a political role? For instance, is it possible that a perfect living master will lead a nation, let's say? Generally, no. They lead a people, but not a nation. Ah. So they live. They are living examples of how should we live here. And masters don't come to make this a paradise. That's for Carl's masters to do. The negative powers masters who come here 
or, or gurus we call them or sad gurus and or gyanis or holy teachers preachers rabbi whatever what you call them they come here to make this world a better place so they get involved in politics they get involved in debates and arguments and so on a true holy master says get the hell out of this place it's all illusion why bother with it sure. so if they don't if they mm -hmm. they don't believe that this place is of any value that we should immerse ourselves in it why should they why would they get involved in politics yeah. no but they do they do represent the nobility of man. So by indirectly, indirectly by their actions, they in a way do affect the seekers and disciples who follow them. Yeah. And those people do set an example of how man should be on this planet. So indirectly, you could say that they create an organization of, of political correctness and, uh, and hope and salvation for the entire humanity by example. But not by debates and arguing and competition, sure, something yeah. like that, no. Do these masters have missions on more than one planet, in more than one realm at yes. a time? Ah, okay. Yes, they operate at many levels at the same time. Wow. So what could they be dealing with at the same time? Well, from a point of view here, they could be dealing here. They could be dealing with the astral realm, the causal realm, the mm -hmm. parabram and the fourth realm and so on. All at the same time. There are souls from the past. These masters tend to cycle back again into creation. So their past disciples who they initiated may be still traveling, you know, maybe take 10,000 years to complete a journey for some. So they still have to be there for them at their level. So, for example, Guru Nanak or Jesus are still there in the astral realm. Their radiant form is still there guiding disciples there who are meditating their way, paying their dues there mm -hmm. to get back home, maybe thousands of years after. Sure, sure. Are all um, holy masters known to us, or can they have they can can they have like hidden roles, and we don't see them? They're not on the radar. Most of the time, you do not know what the master is doing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's ninety nine point nine percent you don't know what they're doing, and zero point one percent you have an idea of it. Mm. So there could be some masters out there that we don't know of anyway. There are many. Yeah, and there they are countless can... numbers in other planets even. Right, wow, that gets even huge, more vast then, doesn't it? Yes, it's not necessary that the ones you have, but you are only interested in the one who's saving you. Why bother about them? It's They're called, there for other people. It's called being nosy. Yeah, curiosity. <laughs> yeah, Again, these just, are all distractions. We go on debating about such things. We yeah. go on forever debating and not do any spiritual practice. So then we wonder why we've not made any attainment by the time of our death. Yeah, that's, that's told us. Okay, thanks for those questions on the job roles. Like, there's a next set here, which are just general questions, really. Okay. So, a bit of a mishmash. So, here goes. Has there always been perfect living masters on Earth since the beginning of mankind? Yes, there have always been, even before that. Oh. Even at the time of the dinosaurs, when there are no humans on Earth, some dinosaurs were very advanced. They were human-like. They didn't have a human body but they had human level of understanding. So masters had to be born as dinosaurs to even help them. Oh. Even before the dinosaurs, the fish in the sea, when there are no animals on the plant, on the land, there were just fish in the sea. Again, there were some fish who had higher awareness. And so masters had to be born as fish to communicate with them and to save them. So yes, it, it has does happen, but at that level, the maximum they can take them to is parbra. They cannot go further than that mm. in those uh, in ancient times. 
But when the moment human beings came on, only humans had all the five elements necessary, including the element of ether, which is a spiritual element that allows them access to the higher realms. So then masters could be born of a higher level, higher caliber, that could take them all the way to Satkam. So as long as human beings have been here for the last 50 million years or so, there have been uh, uh, holy masters present to take them home, yes. But the greatest number of masters come in the age we call Kalyu, the Dark Age, because it's so difficult for um, for sincere seekers to gain sufficient merit because of the distractions of this world to earn the right, as they would have to do in previous uh, yugas, previous eras of uh, creation, that masters are much more forgiving and they allow even sinners to be um, initiated just by them merely asking for it. So it's a very great time to be born in Kaluk. Although Kaluk has now ended in 2012 and we're starting to offer you since 2012. But still, it's only the very early stages yet. But yes, yeah, so masters have been there through every era, but they operate slightly differently mm. according to the level of the seekers that they're uh, appealing to. And masters of, like say today, they're in their physical body. We can see them, the ones who... Yes. Because we have got the physical body. Yes. They match what we have. Yeah, yes, they always so, come in the form yeah. that you're in. Right. Great. They always come. So when they're fish, they come as fish. When they're dinosaur, they come as dinosaur. Mm. When they're human, they come as human. To relate to. That's the law. Yeah. The divine law, the karmic law of Carl's creation is that a physical master must be here physically and has mm. to endure. The master has to suffer the physical life in order to rescue the souls. Wow. Got me thinking there. I'm just thinking of a dinosaur look. But then that would make sense for back then. Yes, but the dinosaur, years. that's all they were at that time, yeah. dinosaurs. So the fact that these dinosaurs could communicate mm. in their own language, in their own simplistic level with each other and start focusing their attention, yes, they were human. This is why we say they were human-like. Sure. They weren't human, mm, but they were course. human-like. So masters appeared in those forms to help them. Right, thank you. Does it actually take a lot of merit to meet a perfect human master? Yes. It takes 10 million births on average. 10 million births, 10 million years of suffering and wandering, wow. useless wanderings in creation before you come across a perfect living master. This is why they say that once you're in human form, do whatever you can to find the truth because you do not know whether you're going to get this birth again before sure. even this creation ends. So how does a perfect living master recognize a marked soul? He knows the marking. How does a shepherd know which sheep belong to him? <laughs> he recognized the branding. Okay. Okay, so when someone actually recognizes a perfect living master, is it in their mind or their soul picking up on what they sense? Sorry, say that question again. When someone recognizes a perfect living master, mm. is it in their mind or their soul. When you say recognize, they don't recognize them until they go within and see the radiant form. Up until then, it's just a concept. So the master for them is a conceptual thing. Okay. And they're pulled towards the master, but they don't really know why. They, yeah. They're pulled with devotion. They're pulled with love. They make all kinds of terminology to describe why this is happening, but, but so they don't really understand it. But if, if someone gets a pull towards someone, hmm. wouldn't you, would you not say that was coming from their soul? Because they don't yes, it's a, it's a pull of the soul, but they yeah. don't understand it. The mind doesn't yeah. understand it. 
Yeah. The mind doesn't understand what it is that being attracted to these individuals, why they're believing them and trusting them. But it's them. a nice feeling though. You yes, just feel a warmth. That's all they know. Like but they don't understand. It. Right. Okay. The only time they know what it actually yeah. is for sure is when they see it in the astral form. Mm. They see it beyond the physical. Yeah. Okay. So what is actually taking place within the person when they recognize perfectly the master? Like I said, they don't recognize. Yeah, but they, they just have a concept that this is the, they have a feeling that this is the one. They don't recognize, recognizes of knowing. And that can only happen when they see the master outside the physical. Otherwise, they're only seeing the physical being like them. Yeah, I guess that's So therefore, they have a conceptual idea. They have a feeling. So it's just a feeling that they have, that this person is a living master. But that feeling is always more um, subject to doubt. So they waver initially in and out until life experiences show them that there is some mysterious power helping them. And they attribute that to their master. Mm. And slowly, slowly, their bond occurs between them and the master. And they start knowing that feeling grows into intuition. And that intuition comes from the soul. So from the feeling of the mind initially getting excited, the soul now starts creating that intuition feeling. And the person just knows. But they don't know why they know. Yeah. I guess it's the wrong word to use, recognise. But it, you're right, it is that intuitive feeling that... Yes. Yeah, that familiarity, but you're not sure That's right. Why. But in the beginning, they yeah. don't even... Most people don't initiate, don't even have intuition. They just, <laughs> they just have a feeling. Yeah. Emotional feeling, an emotional pull. Mm. Because at the level that the master True. initiates them, they're in the physical. And that the, the senses that operate are only the emotions of the five senses. So they are those ones are first appealed to by the by the master and then eventually with little practice that person becomes intuitive which rises above the senses so then even if they're let down or they feel they've been let down in life by something or another they still have faith in the master this is yeah. no longer based upon the feelings emotions or the senses it's based on something higher called intuition yeah and then that intuition turns into direct knowing when they have actual experience of the master within so when the master shows his full credentials within, that person says, okay, now, now I know who you are. <laughs> sure, sure. That's so, why the master say, please meditate so you can see who we really are. Otherwise, you're just taking our word for it. Blind faith. Yes. <laughs> okay. Do um, all perfect living masters come from a lineage? Yes. Because the concept of a perfect living master in the physical realm Again, there are certain rules and regulations that govern the rescue of souls in this physical realm, laid down in agreement between Karl, the negative power, and the Al, or the holy masters, the positive power. And one of them is that a master must be physically present and suffer physical existence at the same, same time as uh, an individual is suffering physical existence in the human form. The second thing is that they must be physically connect. They must physically connect. So they have to connect with each other in a human way. They cannot use magical powers to communicate themselves to uh, uh, initiate. They have to physically meet them and talk to them and use physical measures. measures. Sure. So in that sense, then, uh, a physical master has to be present. So that's how they come into contact. Sure. So you know when... Perfect living masters um, come to take people home. Mm. There are marked souls. Mm. Are there actually chosen groups or specific groups that they need to take home? Does that make sense? It's not in groups. They're okay. individual souls. Right. Okay. Written into the script. 
of the um, character that they're playing in creation? Is there a rescue plan that comes at a certain time? This is why um, salvation by a perfect living master is a completely different process to earned merit of karmic masters, the masters who are within the karmic realms of the spiritual teachers and so on. For, for to, to be won by them, you have to have sufficient good deeds in this lifetime. You have to live a good and noble life and so on in order to be initiated. However, with um, a perfect living master, that's not necessary. They don't look at your karmas. They don't look at the character you're playing. They simply look at the timeline of events. Right. Is this soul now in a position to... Are they fed up in creation of the soul? Yes. It doesn't matter what the characters do. And is this the time for them to get rescued? Yes, it's scripted in their plan that they have to sure. be rescued. That person could be in the middle of villainy and they could get saved. That's why there are some very colourful disciples in the past. <laughs> because um, they could be pulled from all sorts of backgrounds. Yeah. They can be already saint-like or they can be villains. True. And there are many examples from Great Masters period that Ishwiji often talks about and Babaji. There are, you know, mm -hmm. and Hazur Maharaj used to tell a few stories as well of disciples in the past who were not so wholesome and you would not think that they would be worthy of being disciples the way they lived their life before initiation. But the moment they came across a perfect living master, some pulling them, gave up everything. They said, yes, I'm ready. And the whole past was forgiven. And the master said, okay, I'll initiate you. Yet there are some souls who were really good, you know, really following their religion, very devoted, lighting their jot, their lamp every day, doing their puja, their worship of the deities and so on. And they did refuse because the time has not come yet. So initiation is not based upon what you do in this lifetime. It is an agreement between yourself and the Lord at the beginning of time. That at a certain time in your life, no matter what role you're playing, what you're doing, that time you'll be pulled. You'll suddenly get the pull within, be attracted to a perfect living master of the day and get initiated. And that's why this path, luckily, is not conditional upon your behavior in this lifetime so much. Although naturally, when somebody starts becoming a seeker, they give up all distractions, which usually means good and bad things equally. Sure. They give up the distraction of the world and become a, a seeker, a follower, a journeyer, a quester. So that's why mostly we find those type of characters but it does happen where a villain was a villain one day and next day they're initiated into being the saint because it's to do with the soul not the character they are playing and it can happen at any moment in somebody's life that is the real mystery of this path mm. as opposed to the path of the gyanis and the spiritual philosophers or the holy teachers who are purely karma led so for example most of the religions say that if you do all good deeds, you'll go to heaven. And if you're really good, you'll come across a holy teacher who will baptize you, bless you, who will teach you prayers and, and recitations and so on. And, and he'll allow you and he'll help you to teach you how to go to the, to the, uh, to the lower heavens, to the paradise, jana, whatever one you call it. Um, they call it mukti or moksha, liberation, nirvana. They're given all kinds of terms to these lower heavens, these lower paradises. But you have to earn your way there, which means that you have to follow a lot of rules and regulations, do strict penances and spiritual practices to get there. Whereas with a, a perfect living master, his word is enough. He stands as ransom for you mm. in the gates of the negative power. So when the negative power tries to claim that soul, 
The moment that soul attaches himself to a perfect living master by giving up his ego and saying, no, I believe that you will take me home, no matter how bad I have been, my faith is fully with you. I am 100% with you. And therefore I will live in your will. I'll follow your will. Then how can that master refuse that person and say, no, I will not forgive your sins. So when Carl claims that one saying he's done nothing to earn the merit, like all the others have to do all these hard penances, all you've done is initiated him and all he does is think of you. He says, well, on that basis, I will pay your dues on his behalf. I will stand as ransom. So this is a wonderful thing. This is why we have no tongue to thank and praise the masters for what they do for us. Because if it was down to us, we'd never go home. We'd never be able to attain that level to go home. It's not possible. But because of their ability to forgive, no matter who or what we are, all we have to do is a little bit of devotion, a little bit of spiritual practice out of gratitude. Because as the master shows that he takes care of our little details for us, we start becoming ever more grateful and gratefulness leads to love and love leads to devotion and devotion mm. leads to going back home. Mm. The Lord cannot refuse somebody who's completely devoted and, and a lover of the Lord. How can he? In fact, it is the forgiveness of sins and the fact that we don't seem to be accountable anymore to these things that we've done in the past and that feeling within us of being light and feeling forgiven that is the amazing thing, that the power of a holy master, which a lower master or a holy teacher or, or philosopher or whatever, Gyani, cannot do. They cannot forgive our sins. Thank you. So just so I'm clear on this, all the masters from Satchkan, they're all perfect living masters. Yes. Right. Okay. What above all else pleases our perfect living masters the most with regards to our attitude in life? Obedience and gratitude. If you can master those two things, you have won the heart of the Lord. So I understand about the gratitude. Can you explain a bit more about obedience? Obedience means follow the vows you took at a time of initiation mm -hmm. and any advice given to you by the master followed implicitly without question. Live in the Lord's will. Live in the Master's will or the Lord's will. It's the same thing, Lord and Master. So by living in the will shows you complete trust in them, complete faith in them. How did a soul earn the privilege to become a perfect living master? A perfect living master is descended from the fifth realm, has the Deal attribute. But there are other masters. You can become a holy master yourself as a soul who becomes a realized soul. So when it is written in your script, the particular role you have chosen in this life is that you will first suffer for a while, then you become a saint. Then that is also part of the role play. Mm. So some souls will go straight home to such kind, they don't have to play the saint thing. Others say, okay, I have to come back and help a few others before I go back. So they become the saints, the living saints. So those type of saints are slightly different. Um, they're born, they live as a human being, they, they, they maybe do a few bad things here or there along the way or suffer, and then they become rescued to such a point that they become a, a, a saint themselves. So they're slightly different from the Param sons. We call the others Param sons, and the others are just sons. Okay, thank you. 
Right, this is the last question from this section, and then I've just got one final sort of additional question, which is off topic. So, keeping with and um, perfectly the masters, this question is: Will there be more female perfectly the masters on Earth in the future? Yes, there will. Oh, that's good. Right, this is the additional question now, which is off topic. In one of your insights, you mentioned that gravity will be debunked. Following this thread, is it true that we are all living on a flat Earth, as some people suggest? If not, what is the real situation? <laughs> I, told you I don't, I don't uh, <laughs> see the connection between gravity being debunked and necessity of living on a flat Earth. No, we don't live on a flat Earth. This is an old school philosophy going back in the day before people understood about um, scientific principle about the wider universe. There were many um, theories at that time, going back to Aristotle even, um, where they thought that the Earth must be flat because logically, if it wasn't any other shape, it would fall off. Roll off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, just as the forces of nature are very strange indeed, so is the magnetic pull of the Earth. And yes, we see from space, if you fly in a rocket, um, you can see that the Earth is curved, the pictures from the Hubble telescope, you know, um, many, many, even an aeroplane flying high enough can see there's a natural curvature of the Earth. From the land, if you stand and you look at the sea, you can see a ship that's very far in the distance, seems to have only half of its mass showing. So it's not beneath the waves. It's The Earth must be curved. There are many examples of the fact that, and this is what the scientists of the old, the olden days figured out. And they, they, they've known that the Earth has been round for, for centuries now. So no, the Earth is not flat. But the gravity situation is because there's an attractive force between objects, which is consciousness. And because they couldn't label it as consciousness, it wasn't very scientific. They simply gave it the name of gravity around the time of Newton. So Newton is said to have discovered gravity when an apple fell from a tree. And he said, oh, what's pulling that from the tree? down to here, you know, and, and he invented the concept called gravity, gravitas, the Latin term. And so from then on, we've adopted this term gravity. And we still use it today because it's a convenient way to explain this attractive force. But yes, there is a force of attraction, but attraction is consciousness and it's electromagnetic in origin. It's not gravity. But science, in this century, that will be, that will be revealed that there's an elect it's electrogravity there's actually a special part of electricity, electromagnetism, that um, is causing a gravity type effect. So that's what will be debunked. The, the actual conceptual idea of gravity, which has never been proved, nobody has ever seen a graviton or any evidence that gravity actually exists other than the sensation of objects being attracted to each other. Yeah. But they don't understand the force at work, which is why science struggles to unify for a unified theory. The problem is that um, you have gravity as the odd one out in the equation. And to add gravity into the other forces, there's no way of linking them. You see, because they all operate at one level, gravity operates on another. And I've never found anything that links the two together. It's a big problem. I mean, they've found the Higgs boson particle, which they're trying to use as a means for uniting the theory of gravity or the theory of relativity with the quantum theory. But it's not really uh, conclusive at all. 
it just shows that there's an interaction between the two, but not actually a unifying theory. It doesn't provide a unifying theory. Thank you very much for that. I told you it was off topic. Yeah. Right, those are all the questions. Thank you, Speaker, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to answer these questions. Most welcome.